What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we wrap up our series called That's Not in the Bible. We've explored some popular ideas around Christmas and baptism that don't really hold water when we read the Bible closely and understand it for what it really means. Then last week we looked at a phrase that people sometimes attribute to the Bible, everything happens for a reason. We might think God controls every detail of our lives, so whether something good or bad happens to us, it happened because God made it happen. But what we learn from the scripture doesn't really line up with that. The Apostle Paul says instead, all things work together for good, meaning even the bad things that happen to you, God will ultimately work into the good of God's kingdom. When God reigns and rules over all things, that's when we will see the good that God has for us. So it's not that bad things won't happen to you. It's not that God prevents us from experiencing difficult moments. The promise is that in the end, God will make all things right. That's very different from saying everything happens for a reason, isn't it? Now today we're going to take a similar journey with another phrase we hear, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's taken from 1 Corinthians 10, as we heard, which actually says he will not let you be tested beyond your strength, but let's work it out. Does God prevent us from going through more than we can handle? We're going to pair this with another scripture from Luke chapter 4, read by Zogunda. This is the famous temptation of Jesus. Usually we would hear this scripture in a few weeks at the start of Lent, but we're going to look at it now with this question in mind around how much God gives us to handle. So let's hear now about these 40 days of temptation that happened just before the start of Jesus' public ministry traveling across Israel. What kind of challenge does God allow Jesus to go through? This is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Let's hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdom of the world. And the devil said to him, to you I will give their glory and all the authority for it has been given over to me and I give it to anyone I please, if you then will worship me. It will all be yours, Jesus answered. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, 
If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you and on their hands they will be they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone jesus answered him it is said do not put the lord your god to the test when the devil had finished every test he departed from him until an opportune time. Amen. And from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and 14, no testing has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful and will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, make us an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in us as we seek to understand your word and how you would have us live. Bless us as you speak to us today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Sometimes the things we can uh, the things that we want can propel us and the people around us into unexpected situations. Now, that was never tr- more true than for Alicia. She was just two years old when she found herself at a Billy B's in Syracuse, New York. Her older cousin Kaylee, at three years old, wanted a ball from the giant claw machine, and when she couldn't reach in to get it herself, she sent her little cousin in. Alicia fit just right into the dispenser for a giant bouncy ball. So when she climbed in, she found herself stuck inside the claw machine. Kaylee went and got her mother, who couldn't believe her eyes when she saw the machine. She assumed Alicia would just have a hand or maybe an arm inside the machine, not her entire body inside of it. Uh, Eventually, they called the fire department, and they were able to wedge open the dispenser, and out came Alicia, No worse for wear, but Kaylee, when she saw her cousin successfully get out, she asked simply, where's the ball? Whatever happened to other people, she knew what she wanted. Now, sometimes when we find people who know what they want, we think it's commendable. Bill Gates quits college, and he builds Microsoft. Besides those annoying Windows updates, most folks don't think poorly of his decision to quit school because he was successful and became a billionaire. It's almost the same story for Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, except maybe some people despise Facebook even more. Uh, But when someone is so committed to an idea, to seeing something happen in the world, there can be a really dark side to it too. Sometimes it doesn't go well. Sometimes people are so committed to an idea that it leads to a serious failure. That's when we see these obsessions for what they really are. Maybe you saw this week how airplanes are being grounded all over the U.S. People have been so obsessed with high-speed internet for their phones. They want this new 5G network 
so quickly and that it'll scramble the instruments of a Boeing 777. The project that started a few years ago was so rushed, we've got huge problems now. Some folks become obsessed with celebrities wishing and hoping they could live their lives just like them. But ultimately, that kind of obsession just leads to anxiety and depression. People can pursue wealth so completely, they ignore everyone and everything else, leading to a shallow and meaningless life. Even our families can be a source of obsession that is unhealthy. I think of how sometimes a couple can have their lives completely oriented around their children. Then when the kids go off to college or move out, it's two people left in a home who are near complete strangers to one another. It can be so tough to balance out all these different things in life, prioritizing what is truly most important. Getting priorities right has a name in the scriptures. It's actually the very first commandment in the Ten Commandments handed down to Moses. You may remember it as, Thou shalt not have any other gods before me, but the technical word for this idea is idolatry. Usually when we hear that, we, we think of little stone or wood statues or someone bowing in a temple. Judaism has this story of Abraham, the father of all Jewish people, being with his father who sells trinkets and idols in his store. When his father is away, Abraham smashes the idols in the shop. When his father returns, he asks what happened, and Abraham points to the biggest one, which was untouched, and he says, that one destroyed all the others. Idolatry is not just figures in a shop, though. It is anything that you place ahead of God, anything that becomes more important than that big God. If it interferes with a right relationship with God, it is idolatry. It can be money, status, power, control, our self-image. Even our own comfort can play an outsized role in our lives. If we put these things ahead of God and who God calls us to be, we will find ourselves breaking that first commandment to put nothing ahead of God. As the Apostle Paul writes about God not giving you more than you can handle, though the actual words are, he will not let you be tested beyond your strength, what is he talking about? Is he saying God won't ever make things too tough on you? You'll never have to deal with hardships that devastate you? He goes on to say, God will provide a way out so that you can endure. That sounds like whatever struggle you go through, God knows you'll be able to get through it. So maybe the message is, even when it's difficult, trust God because he knows exactly where your limit is and won't make it harder than that on you. That's how I was raised to understand this verse. But you know there's a curveball coming, don't you? The series is, after all, that's not in the Bible. So what are we missing? We are missing the very next verse. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. Wait, what? Where did idols come from? How is idolatry connected to God not giving us more than we can handle? 
If you look at the verses before and after this, you'll see Paul is in the middle of a much bigger discussion around idolatry. It actually involves meat that is sacrificed to idols. I know that probably sounds strange and maybe even a little boring, but we're actually going to look at that specific topic in a few weeks when we come to our next series on biblical foods. It's one of the most compelling examples in all of Scripture for how we are to live our lives. But for right now, you just need to know that this verse about how much we can handle is surrounded by pages on the topic of idolatry. What Paul is telling us about being tested and enduring and having a way out is not about cancer or death or some of the incredible hardships we can face as humans. Paul is saying, whatever you go through, who are you going to serve? Are you going to stick with God or are you going to serve some meaningless, worthless idol? God is there for you in any difficulty you face. God promises his presence and his abiding love. So whatever you face, you know God is there. God loves you. But if you choose to stop following God, if you choose to prioritize money or power or even your family above God, you cannot expect God to save you in those circumstances. Your rejection of God means you don't want him to save you. So he will leave you to your own devices. Now, I know that can be a tough word to hear, especially since prioritizing God above all else can be a very real challenge. It's hard to keep in focus the things God has for us, the thing God would want us to do in any given situation. But I often think back to an example that my dad gave me when I was young. He told me how often people think of following God as a train on a train track. If you just stay on the rails, on the specific course God has for you, you'll be fine. But if a train is derailed, how do you get it back on course? It's it's a gargantuan task. It's nearly impossible. Instead of a single track with only one right course of action, Jesus talks about roads. He talks about the way and about the light and love and truth and taking up our cross daily to follow him. One of the most baffling parts of scripture is found at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, on judgment day, many will say, Lord, did we not prophesy and cast out demons and do powerful acts in your name? And Jesus says, on that day, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoer. He goes on to say, we can't just hear the words of Jesus and do nothing. We have got to act on them. And the action we have to take isn't the dramatic one that we often think proves we belong to God. Powerful miracles, miraculous signs, casting out demons. None of that is what guarantees that we have our priorities in order, that we have put God first in our lives. The proof is when... In our anger, we go and make it right with our brother or sister. The proof is when we tell the truth and help those who hurt us and love our enemies. Proof 
is helping the poor and praying for forgiveness and forgiving others. Proof is serving God alone and whatever trouble comes your way, handing it over to him and always striving first for the kingdom of God. When Jesus was in the wilderness, just before he started his ministry traveling across Israel, he fasted. He had no food for 40 days, which is the same amount of time Moses spent on the mountain before he came down with the Ten Commandments. Uh, Jesus then uses the words of Moses from the earlier parts of the Bible to answer the devil's temptations. Jesus would have obviously been hungry after not eating for so long, so the devil tempts him with food, saying if he will simply change rocks to bread, he would be uh, proving that he is truly God's son. Jesus says, no, that's putting food ahead of who God has called him to be, and he won't do it. Next, he's shown all the kingdoms of the world and told if he worships the devil, he can be the military ruler of the world like the Messiah the Jewish people expected. Jesus again says, no, he will not participate in that very clear and direct form of idolatry. Worshiping God is more important than conquering and controlling the world. In the final test, Jesus is taken to the top of the temple in Jerusalem. The devil tries to get Jesus to willfully test God by tossing himself down from the top into the deep valley below so that God will rescue him. Jesus will not do it. He keeps his priorities properly in place, avoiding idolatry and finding a way out by quoting the scriptures appropriately. That is how we avoid idolatry. That is how we stay on course. Not by avoiding some predetermined course of perfection and sinful, sinlessness. No, that's impossible. Jesus calls us to follow in his footsteps. To put God ahead of our physical needs. Ahead of power and the expectations of those around us. And even to put God ahead of our expectations of what God will and will not do for us. We do not test God. God tests us. Our job is to be faithful and to pursue God's light in our lives no matter the circumstances. So what might this look like in our day-to-day -day lives? How do we remain faithful to God no matter what we face? Just this past week, I was made aware of a very dire situation for a family connected to us through the nursery school. In the coming days, I hope to share ways that we can support this family through our prayers and even financially. But I can't help but think what it would be like for me to get terrible news about my health. Would I be angry at God? Would I beg for God to heal me? Or would I be like Jesus, tempted in the wilderness, quoting scripture, reminding myself and everyone around me, this is not ultimately about me. This is about being faithful to the God of the universe, the one who is over all things. So I serve God, not myself, whatever may come. Let me end with this, another example. There was a pastor in a church that had just built a huge state-of-the-art building that led the church into a lot of debt. 
Now, you might think that a pastor is always doing God's work, so they aren't in danger of idolatry, but this pastor felt the pressure of a new building and that debt. Every day he would go into the office early and spend time with potential new members every evening. He did everything he could to help the church grow. Sounds good, right? His wife, Teresa, was very understanding of the situation, but his two-and-a-half-year-old didn't get it. Why wasn't dad home? Each evening after dinner, he would read to her a story without fail, but these days it was different. When he had a meeting, he would sit on the edge of his seat and rush through a quick story or two before heading back out the door for another meeting. One evening, his daughter said something that jolted him back to reality about his role as a father. He sat down in his chair like always and started to read quickly so he could get out the door into his next activity. While he was reading, though, his daughter interrupted him, patting his seat and saying, Scoot back, Daddy. Scoot back. She knew on the rare occasions when he didn't have more work to do, he would relax, sit back, and leisurely read to her heart's content. These simple words pierced her father's soul as he understood what she was really saying. Please slow down, Daddy. Make room for me. Make time for me. Her words brought him back to the moment he was in, and he scooted back to be present with his daughter. Now, God, he is a little like that daughter, sweetly asking us to scoot back. He is calling us to consider just how much presence we give to him. Are we truly present with God? Where does God fall in our priorities? If God is not number one, the key element in our lives, we may find our lives out of balance with life challenges and a seemingly absent God not helping us. When God is first, though, everything else clicks into place. God isn't trying to take our lives away from us, but he is trying to fill them to overflowing. God isn't challenging us with problems, testing if we will truly follow him. Instead, he stands ready to bless us, whatever we face, inviting us to find our peace and rest and fullness in him so we can face anything this world might throw at us. We make time for God not because we are obligated to it or because we want to get on God's good side. We do it because God is our top priority, because God empowers us in every area of life to bear his love into the world. So may you connect with God in such a way that you can handle absolutely anything. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.